Molly hits a breaking point, and we hit a time jump. Today I'm talking about Fargo's eighth episode. This is Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. movie friends welcome to scott's self-indulgent movie podcast i am scott and today we're talking about episode eight from season one of fargo the heap so this one has a lot going on including a massive well comparatively massive time jump a year and yeah without further ado let's get started it's not uncommon for people to turn their lives around or make big changes after a tragedy or trauma almost every celebrity sobriety story starts with a rock bottom before recovery and a return But for most people, that tragedy isn't going to be a murder you committed or a murder you were trying to solve. Fresh off his brother's arrest, Lester feels like a new man. He's getting new appliances, consoling his brother's wife, and even standing up for himself against Hess's sons. Life is going in the right direction. Meanwhile, our FBI agents, Bill and Webb, and Molly aren't doing so hot. Bill and Webb have been buried in the records room of the FBI for missing the entire shootout until it was too late and Molly is trying to redirect the investigation away from Chaz. Despite getting an apology from Bill about his drifter theory, he rejects her presentation and insists that she drop it. Now officially silenced by her department and being celebrated for closing the case, Molly reluctantly allows everyone around her, including Vern's widow, to believe that the case is solved. This despite the fact that Malvo has murdered another police officer and let Wrench go from the hospital. But things perhaps take a turn for the better when Gus decides to call Molly from patrol and the two agree to see each other at the logging festival. Cut to one year later and things are very different. Gus is a mailman now and married to Molly, who's pregnant. Molly is still conducting her own investigation and attempting to go through the FBI, who don't seem to be listening. But Bill and Webb, still stuck in the records room, rekindle their desire to solve their shootout when they accidentally reveal Malvo's blurry photo. But in Las Vegas, Lester is being honored as Insurance Salesman of the Year, and potentially looking at a cheat on his new wife Linda, when he spots his old friend, Lorne Malvo. So let's get into the Fargo stuff. Much like the first episode, a lot of the reasons Episode 8 is so effective is for how it bucks or leans into expectations compared to the film. The lean-in elements are pretty straightforward. Our awesome detective is now pregnant and has a nice quiet scene with Gus saying they have everything that they need. That's classic Fargo stuff. Where the show drifts away is noteworthy. First and foremost, this episode demonstrates what could happen if Jerry Lundergaard got away with it. This episode keeps throwing situations at Lester, where he either gets a victory lap or gets to demonstrate that he's a new man. He gets a new washing machine. He gets to console his sister-in-law for something he did. And when the Hess boys show up to bully him, he actually fights back and impresses his entire office, especially future wife Linda. And minus Molly, nobody seems to be the wiser. So much so that a year later, Lester is one of the smoothest insurance salesmen in the nation and throwing back drinks in Vegas as the toast of the party. Of course, seeing Lorne Malvo could push him further and have, or have him revert back, but time will tell. Also, this isn't Fargo, but Malvo breaking into the hospital and strangling a police officer is an Anton Jagger move if I've ever seen one. So let's go into the title, because we've got another logical paradox. Today's title is The Heap, which is 
Well, it's blatantly explained in this episode, but it's about files in the file room. <laughs> the paradox is trying to determine when a heap or pile of sand is or isn't a pile of sand. Or rather, how many grains of sand can you remove from a pile and still call it a pile? It's a pretty close comparison to the last episode's paradox related to identity. As always, I think there's a few ways to look at this. Much like the last episode, Lester is continuing to strip away the humanity and faults that made him an okay person, but also made it easy for him to get pushed around. By the episode's end, he has a new job, new wife, new house, new everything. But is he still Lester? I'd argue yes, considering how jumpy he gets seeing Malvo, but it's hard to tell for a bit. On the other side of the law, I'd say that Molly is trying to wrap her head around her department's victory. Bill is happy, the rest of the office is happy, even Ida is happy. They all believe they got the guy that killed Vern. But, sh but how much evidence has to be ignored for it to be an injustice? How many little compromises and mistakes do you have to make to turn a murder investigation into a false prosecution? And later for Molly, how many lovely things can you have before you're satisfied? While Molly says out loud that she's happy for all they have and seemingly inspired by Tahir's story, she's still restless. Does she actually have everything that she needs? What does complete happiness look like? It's hard to say, at least for now. And this episode also brings Lester full circle. The episode opens with Lester essentially removing every reminder of his crime in his old life, including the old washing machine. The visuals of the scene are quite funny because they make a washing machine spin and look and feel like a dream sequence. It reads as euphoric, but it's a washing machine. It's a symbol of everything that was wrong with his old life. The aspect I want to highlight, though, is what the installer says as Lester stares into the machine with awe and the camera tilts and spins. As the installer removes the old washer, he notes that he hasn't seen one of these machines in forever, particularly because they were notoriously poorly made and were essentially lemons on arrival. People just kept returning them and getting refunded. They basically went under and stopped manufacturing them. And... He comments on how it must have rattled like a son of a bitch and should have been returned and replaced years, if not immediately after it was purchased. Admittedly, Lester doesn't care, he's too busy staring at the shiny, but for me, everything about Lester locked into place here. Lester is the character who thought he identified his weakness. From his perspective, his problem had been that he cared too much about what people think and been too passive. He had too many connections that were tying him down. He needed to take charge and be king ape of the jungle like Malvo taught him. But the installer basically told him what his problem was. He just needed to ask for help. Like, real help. Sure, stand up for yourself against bullies, but also ask for help from other humans? Ultimately, it's clear that Lester only views human connections now as something to exploit. And the problem with the washing machine was that he didn't have money or the gumption to replace it, when anyone could have looked at it and told him he should have gotten his money back and stood up for him. And this is the washing machine that apparently pushed him over the edge to kill his wife. So Lester is still an idiot, and that isolationist worldview can only last for so long. And now we're going to get into the time jump, and why it works for basically every character. We'll go character by character. We'll start with Bill Budge and Webb Pepper, the FBI agents. So this is mostly a joke, because Bill say at the early in the episode says they'll be out of the records room in a couple weeks. Cue a week later, and there's cue a year later, and they're still in the records room. However, the main reason this is here and works is because they will be the ones to restart the case against Malvo in earnest, thanks to Molly's 
apparently fruitless calls to the FBI. And then we get to Bill Oswald. So you're gonna hate Bill before the time jump. Despite apologizing to Molly, he is unwilling to move on their running theory and even throws a party. Molly is so frustrated by him, she finally yells at him, but Bill assures her everything is gonna be fine and a less competent cop will find, figure out the Sam Hess mess. That said, his reintroduction in the, after the time jump is very sweet and starts to put the pieces of his character and worldview together because Bill is so upbeat and joyful when he introduces Tahir. The story we hear is that Tahir was meant to be Bill's foster son, but due to an airport mix-up and some bad communications, Tahir fled the airport and has been stealing food from a grocery store to keep from starving, Stavros's grocery store. When, lo and behold, Bill is in Duluth to see the ballet with his wife, and goes in to get snacks, and sees Tahir, a young man whom he apparently had been feverishly looking for for weeks, worried sick. Bill admits to crying and nearly tears up before embracing the young man like he's family. And that's needle-breaking levels of sweetness right there. You really get the impression that Bill is this flawed but ultimately very nice guy. A lot of people wouldn't do what he did in the first place and would balk when wouldn't balk when Tahir couldn't be found, but he actively pursued him and knew him by sight. But what he says afterwards puts his worldview into full focus. He says, he likes to think, things just work out. We've seen shades of this when he's talked to Lester or proposed theories that remove the dark underbelly of humanity from the equation. His story with Tahir is confirmation bias, because he needs it to be true, though we and Molly are obviously skeptical based on all we've seen. But it's a great setup for his final scene, and gives us more layers. Let's get to Malvo. There's no big changes yet, but he's in a new human suit, and it's terrifying. He also looks a lot more like Billy Bob Thornton normally looks. And moving on to Lester. We've covered him a lot, but it's clear that Lester has decided to live for himself, and has seemingly transformed him. Hell, his hair lacks those gray shades it had before. I think a lot of people will point to his decision to grab drinks at the bar and presumably cheat on his new wife, Linda, but for me, it's how he mines the personal tragedy which he caused like a sales pitch. Just the grossest fucking thing. Barf. And then we get to Molly, Gus, and Lou. As always, the scenes with Molly and Gus make my heart happy, even if they're not in the same place. The scene at Lou's diner is half-cautionary step for Molly's bad meeting with Bill. You'll notice that Lou hints that her desired approach won't go well, but also tells us that Gus has been sending her a lot of flowers her way. The way Allison Tolman sheepishly plays it off when Lou says she's being wooed and then insists that the flowers have a more prominent location is so freaking cute. And by the episode's midpoint, Molly really needs a win. She stuck her neck out and even yelled at her chief trying to get justice, but to no avail. She's had to lie to Ida to spare her feelings, and she stared at Lester through his office window, and he waved at her without a care, worry-free. So Gus deciding to call her, and then cutely dancing around, <laughs> dancing around a date at the logging festival seems to be what both of them need. And the cut to a year later is so sweet. Gus is a mailman like he wanted to be, and still talking to his daughter over the radio. They agree on tacos for dinner. This whole scene is so wholesome and hu human as Gus arrives. There's so many great little details that make this feel real and also put us in the new paradigm. Gus forgetting the red sauce right after he's told not to forget it. The little did you forget dinner joke with Greta. The visual reveal of Molly's pregnancy. 
And I'll be honest, I teared up a little when both Greta and Gus refer to Molly as mom after less than a year together. It's so damn adorable. It's a nice, stable life that allows Molly to work the night shift and investigate in her own time. And there's also some little details that are interesting. Mavel, Malvo demonstrates what kind of people he actually respects. People who almost kill him. Chaz's wife demonstrates how shallow their entire family is when she implies Chaz's real crime was cheating on her. Not the murder. And I swear the, the file room that Budge and Pepper it sent me straight back to the X-Files. It's like Mulder's old office. Lash, Lester casually throwing out all of his wife's things is another grosso. And if I ever shot somebody and they still agreed to marry me, yeah, I'd get them pregnant immediately before they realized their mistake. <laughs> Just kidding. Kinda. Anyway, that is today's episode called The Heap. Hope you've enjoyed today's breakdown, and I'll catch you next time. This has been Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to join our Facebook group, Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie World. Thank you so much for listening. Catch you next time, everybody. Stay safe.